Welcome back to the Word on Fire show. I'm Brandon Vaught, the host and the content director here at Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. Joining me, as he does almost every single week, is the Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, Bishop Robert Barron. Welcome. Hey, Brandon. How you doing? Oh, you doing know, before great. I go, someone, someone came on one of my sites and said, why do you say hey to Brandon? That's, it sounds so trendy. I thought, I'm, does hey sound trendy? I'm so offended by the informality <laughs> of the greeting. I guess I, maybe we've changed a bit. Like we say hi when I was a kid and hey is more common now. But I, I just I sort of smile at, is that like a millennial thing to say hey? Greetings, Your Excellency. Yeah, greetings to you, <laughs> my son. Hey, um, tell us about this uh, event you just did at USC. Their oh, campus yeah. ministry invited you to come out and give a talk there. Give us an update. It was fun. Yeah, I was going down to LA to record um, the 12 lectures on Newman, which will come out later with our Word on Fire Institute. So before the night before, I went down and uh, went to the Crusoe Center, which is a beautiful uh, Catholic center at uh, USC. And uh, I just did a talk on the nuns, you know, um, who are they? Why are they leaving? How do we get them back? And uh, a very lively crowd, good questions afterwards. So young crowd. It was the college kids and and those who are kind of in that orbit. So um, I got a kick out of that. It was a good experience. And didn't they just build this magnificent new campus ministry center, something like that? A church uh, that is really something. It's um, not giant. You know, it's kind of like a little uh, gem, a little jewel, you know, stained glass and and fine art and uh, really striking. And I, whenever I go there, I've been there two or three times now, I always use it as an example of the via pulchritudinis, you know, the way of beauty. If you want to draw people to the church, here's this very non-threatening way to do it. But it's a it's a great example of it. Another thing I wanted to update people on, after we did the last episode on Dr. Jordan Peterson, we've done maybe two or three of those now. Every day I'm getting multiple emails from people saying, when are Bishop Barron and Jordan Peterson going to get together? And we're happy to share with listeners that in about three weeks here at the end of March, you are going to be on Jordan Peterson's own podcast. So he's got this podcast that releases episodes only once a month. So it's Hmm. very, very sporadically. So it's kind of a big deal that he's going to devote a whole episode to talking with with you. I'm guessing you're pretty excited about that. Yeah, I've been following him for a long time. We've never met. Uh, I've never spoken to him directly. Uh, But, you know, I've, I've appreciated what he's done. And I think he's an intriguing figure on the scene today. So I'm, you know, happy to talk to him. Uh, as I say, he's such a great step beyond this this uh, fiercely secularist kind of atheist stuff that's so prominent in the culture. And he's, I think, opened some very important doors and windows toward, you know, a more positive approach to religion. Now, is he all the way there? I would say no, judging from what I've I've heard. But I think he's a he seems like a very open sort of spirit, and you know, a guy that's certainly very bright and and willing to consider different points of view. And so I'm, I'm eager to talk to him. And just a, another update, we're, we're working on a couple of more angles to get a big stage event between Dr. Peterson and Bishop Barron, hopefully sometime in 2019. So we're hoping this is the first of many interactions between the two of you. Good. Uh, okay, let's turn to the topic of today's episode. Today, we're talking about the metaphysics of prayer. And a big shout out to Sister Miriam in Sweden, who first hmm. suggested the idea to me. She had a, a lot of good reflections and questions on what prayer is and how it works, not just how to pray. We've done episodes on that, but 
what's actually going on when we pray. Um, so I guess let's start off with that basic sort of question. What is prayer, metaphysically speaking, and, and how does it work? What's going on? Well, if we want to stay at that metaphysical level, always keep in mind that God is unchanging. It doesn't mean God is is distant and aloof. Don't make that mistake. That's the mistake made by process theology and so on. God is unchanging. God is unconditioned, absolute in his being. God is octus puros. So our prayer is never meant to change God. It's not meant to um, persuade him otherwise you know, or inform him of something he doesn't know. See, all those are, are false ways of doing it and actually lead to a kind of manipulation of God, which is spiritually unhealthy. Um, so metaphysically speaking, we're not talking about changes in God. But I like the category of metaphysics. It means, you know, at the level of being. Prayer, as John of Damascus famously said, is the raising of the mind and the heart to God. Notice, please, it's from our side of the metaphysical divide. It's, we're lifting ourselves up to a contemplation of God. We're changing, you know. Something really metaphysical is happening for sure to us as we raise our minds and hearts to God. But one of the, the fundamental uh, errors to avoid is that I'm in this sort of game of manipulation vis-a-vis -vis God when I pray. It's never that. It's always a response to a grace that comes first. It's always an ordering of my life to God, you know. Um, but I, I like the category of metaphysics. I think that's a good one. I know you've spoken before about St. Irenaeus's idea that God doesn't need us mm -hmm. and why that's such a good and liberating fact. It's not something Absolutely. that we should be ashamed of, but no. when, it comes to, when it comes to prayer, does that mean God doesn't need us to pray for him? It's not for his benefit. No, it's not like as though God is one of the, the uh, mythological gods or goddesses that, you know, they're powerful and they're impressive, but they do have a kind of needy relationship to the world. They, they require our praise. They require our thanksgiving. If they don't get it, they get pretty mad. The same way, you know, a, a fallen human being would. If, you know, I'm not given the deference that I deserve, and so I'm going to be annoyed at you. You didn't come groveling to me sufficiently, so I'm not going to give you what you want. See, that's a very fallen human context. What happens is often we project that onto God, and we think that's what's going on with God, you know. But no, of course, God doesn't need our praise. Which means, that's why you say quite correctly, that's a great and liberating thing. It means that the praise we give to God redounds to our benefit. So the Aquinas says that you know, many times, that uh, the prayer we offer to God and the service we offer to God is not for God's sake, but for our sake. That God uh, delights in our coming fully alive. And part of that process is what we call prayer, which is the ordering of one's life unto God. What do we do then with the many biblical passages which seem to suggest God requesting or demanding prayers, and then it's seeming to change his mind? Like, I was going to do this, but then I heard these you know, prayers, and then I did that. Yeah. If, if prayer is not changing God, how do we interpret those sorts of verses? Thomas Aquinas takes that right on very directly and bluntly says those are metaphors. We should not literalize them. Don't literalize that as though God has in fact changed his mind. God doesn't change. God's mind doesn't change. He doesn't change in response to our uh, supplication or our behavior. So I, I would echo Aquinas that we simply take those metaphorically. They're, they're not meant to be literal descriptions of what's happening psychologically within the mind of God. 
um, it's always a story of our coming online with God rather than than vice versa. You know, I think of that, Brandon, actually often because we fall in the trap so easily. Whenever I find myself in prayer saying some version of, Lord, I, I want you to do this. <laughs> Why don't you do this? <laughs> it's thinking the Gospels, whenever someone comes to Jesus and says, here's what I think you ought to do. Ipso facto, we're in a bad spiritual space. That, that we take that lead and start demanding what God ought to do. It's always the reverse, you know, of Lord, help me to become attuned unto your will and purpose. That's what prayer finally is about. How do we interpret also the verses specifically in the Gospels where Jesus tells these parables of prayer involving a a woman who relentlessly petitions yeah. a judge or he says, you know, keep knocking on the door and eventually it'll be open. So it seems like the Lord is encouraging us to ask for the same things over and over persistently, but why? What's the effect of no, that? No, that's good because that's right. One of the rules of prayer, I would say, in the Bible is precisely that, is persistence in prayer. Now, I'll give you Augustine's famous answer. Augustine said not because uh, God is like this Pasha who, you know, if, if we wear him down, he'll finally give us what we want. He'll get so exasperated with us, you know. No, no. It's, it's the expansion of the heart and soul outward so as to receive the gift that God wants to give us. So we ask, what if we got it right away? Boom, there it is. Well, maybe I, oh, okay, great, thanks. You know, my, my heart wasn't ready. It wasn't expanded enough to receive the gift that God wants to give me. So the persistence in prayer or why God might say, no, 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 no. Now, yes, because I do want to give this to you. And that's why I place a desire in you, but you're not ready for it yet. Or think about, you know, you're a father of six kids. Uh, one of your kids wants a, a bicycle, but she's not ready for it yet. She's, she can't ride it yet. I want it. I want it. I want it. No, no. What if you gave it to her right now, the minute she wanted it? She might get injured, right? She's incapable of, of handling it. But then, boy, when she does grow up to the point where she can ride the bike and can really enjoy it, now she's ready to receive it. But it was that long period of waiting that prepared her heart. So that's Augustine's famous answer to that dilemma. Let's talk about how prayer works vis-a-vis -vis the Trinity. Uh, I remember when I was an evangelical Protestant, yeah. the inclination was always to pray to Jesus. Jesus, you know, we were supposed to develop this close personal relationship with Jesus. And so it was much rarer that I would direct prayers to the Father or to the Holy Spirit. Um, when we pray, what are the distinctions between praying to different persons of the Trinity? If God is one nature, one substance, are they all going to the same place? Do different persons respond differently? Talk about that. That's, yeah, that's a good question and, and complex, actually. Let me tell you, I'll get into it with a story. Uh, years ago, there was a priest I knew who was so concerned about the sexist language business that he didn't use the word father at mass. He would talk simply to God. He would address God. But see, if you notice liturgically when we pray, we're always addressing the Father, right? Uh, and here's the point. If, if we're just talking to God in an undifferentiated way, then we're not praying in a manner different than the way a Jew or a Muslim or a general monotheist would pray, right? That God, believe in God, and I'm, as it were, outside of God, and I'm petitioning or adoring or begging God in an undifferentiated way. 
What's the Christian difference? The Christian difference is that the one God who's displayed himself now as Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray to the Father, but look, as though the Son has his arm around our shoulder. Because the Father sent the Son, right, into our own humanity, into our God-forsaken humanity, into our sin and death. So the Son's gone all the way out. So the Son now, with his arm around us, so to speak, helps us to pray to the Father. Now, where's the Holy Spirit come in? The Holy Spirit is the love that connects the Father and the Son, right? So the Father and Son never exist apart from the Holy Spirit. In fact, now in this prayer, the Son's arm around my shoulder directed to the Father is a prayer in the Holy Spirit. I've been drawn into the dynamics of the love between the Father and the Son. See, that's the way a Christian prays. We don't pray outside of God like he's at a distance. We pray as it were in God because God has opened up the the Trinitarian life and now includes us in it. That's the extraordinary privilege that I can pray now with the Son's arm around me in the Holy Spirit to the Father. I'm, I'm in God, so to speak. I tell people often, you know, whenever we pray, we begin with this sign, or you're at Mass, and we begin in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're signaling that we're in there, you know? We're not outside of God petitioning. We're in the space opened up by the journey of the Son from the Father, which is the space of the Holy Spirit. We're, we're in the love that connects Father and Son, and that's how we pray, you know? Uh, that makes a world of difference. If I'm just, I'm a human being with all my flaws and everything outside of God begging, I'm in the attitude of, of, a, of a pagan or just a general monotheist. But as a Christian, I'm in a very different metaphysical space, if you want, because I'm now in the space opened up by the Trinitarian persons. Um, that image helps me of, of the, the son with his arm around me. I'm praying with the son in the unity of the spirit to the father. When you're doing your daily holy hour, Bishop, and when you have your own times of personal prayer, do you find yourself gravitating toward praying to one person of the Trinity more than others? Or is it is it sort of in this same image that you just described? I, I think it's in that basic image. But I'll say this, Brandon. It's okay, as you said quite correctly, since God is one in in you know nature or essence, the, the Godhead is one. The Father, Son, and Spirit share the same uh, nature, right? And, and we signal that in the tradition by talking about the circumincessio of the three persons. That just means they sit in a circle together. That means you never have the Father without the Son and the Spirit. You never have the Spirit without the Father and Son. You never have the Son without the Father and the Spirit, right? So they're, they're always together. So if I'm praying to Jesus, like, Lord Jesus, help me, that's fine. That's okay. Because the Father and Spirit are co-implicated in that. Or come Holy Spirit, you know, or, or come Creator Spirit. Fine. If you invoke the Spirit, you got the Father and Son too, necessarily. I think the fundamental move reflected in our liturgical prayers, what I was trying to say earlier, that to the Father, sort of with the Son in the unity of the Holy Spirit, might be sort of the cleanest way to think about it. But I'm fine with that. Pray to the Father, pray to the Spirit, pray to the Son. You're praying to the one God, right? But who is uh, displayed in these three uh, persons. And, but the, the three-personhood of God makes a difference, a big difference in the way that we pray. Uh, say more about that. How, how does it 
make a bit why why is it different that we're praying to a trinity and not to because just, uh, no but, you know a one person because again God. the difference would be that word that little word too i'm not just praying to i'm praying in see that so even as i pray to the father but i'm doing it within the dynamics of the trinity of the of god's own life so it's not just to it's in and with so the two is conditioned by an in and with in a way that's not true of any other religious tradition. None. That's distinctively Christian, it seems to me. Um, if I'm, and nothing wrong with praying to God, but there's a different texture when the two is conditioned by the in and with. That's the Christian difference. All right, let's talk a little bit about some specific forms of prayer. I think classically in prayer, there's different types such as thanksgiving, mm -hmm. uh, adoration, mm -hmm. petition. Um, metaphysically, is there a sort of hierarchy of these types of prayers? You know, I've sometimes heard it said that petitionary prayer is sort of the lowest <laughs> yeah. level type of prayer and that as you advance, you move forward. Do you kind of see things Yeah, that I know way? that tradition. I don't buy it though. And I, I'm with John Paul too, that the older I get, the more I see, first of all, that every prayer is a petitionary prayer. Uh, even even Merton talked about that in the in the fifties. You know that, that there's this kind of prejudice against petitionary prayers, like low level, the way you know children pray. But heck, you know, with John Paul, I'd say that the older I get, the more I realize all my prayer has that form. But I think it's fine to talk about these different levels and different types. And I'm glad you mentioned the holy hours. So just a what a, about two hours ago, I was in my chapel. And it's not a bad way to divide your holy hour if you want to do it that way. Uh, a prayer of adoration, what is that? Well, you know, ad oratio, mouth to mouth. Uh, it's simply being in the presence of God in an attitude of union. You know, I'm just, in the, I'm not asking, I'm not thanking, really. I'm just there. I'm just ordering my life to God. Spend 15 minutes of your holy hour simply in a stance of, Adoratio, right? Uh, a prayer of thanksgiving. Like in someone like you, Brandon, you know, who's have so much to be thankful for as a father of a family. Uh, spend 15 minutes thanking God for each of your kids. I think it's easier in a way for parents because you've got such brilliant examples of, of gifts that God has given you, you know? So as a, as, a, as a parent, that's a beautiful way to pray, I think. It's just think of each one of your kids one by one. And why you're thankful for that child, what that child's brought to your life. So in my case, it wouldn't be children, but other things that God has done for me. And just to go over the day, yesterday, you know, what am I thankful for? Uh, or just things in my life that I'm, I'm grateful for. Uh, then a prayer petition. Good. Maybe spend then 15 minutes asking. Because like, you know, I did today, just recently, it happens all the time, but recently tons of people have been asking me to pray for them. Uh, people that are suffering, uh, that need something, that are afraid, that are facing death. There's all kinds of people. So spend 15 minutes just doing that. Okay, remember this person. He asked for that. Lord, please, if it's your gracious will, grant that. And then, okay, that other person talked to me. Do do that with all the people you can remember. But I always I do this. Cardinal George taught me this. At the end of that process, just say, Lord, please bless all the people for whom I promised to pray, because I can't remember them all, maybe. But of course, you do. You know when I said, yes, I'll pray for you. Because you know, I say it all the time as a, as a priest and I was a bishop is how many times I finish an email with, you know, I'll pray for you or, you know, thanks or, uh, or I'll say, pray for me. So, Lord, 
bless all those people that I promised to pray for and give them what you know to be best for them. Because I don't really know what's best for them, but you do. So right there, if you do those three things, you got 45 minutes of your holy hour. Now, what I do typically now as a priest, I'm obliged to pray the office. So I'll bring the office in with me and I'll, I'll pray it all through that process, you know, because the Psalms, the great prayer book of the church, uh, this ancient prayer book, is there adoration in the Psalms? Yeah, lots of it. There's lots of adoratio kind of prayers. Are there prayers of, uh, of thanksgiving? Yeah, like man. Are there prayers of petition? Yep, all the way through it. Are there prayers of, of like exasperation? Or I'm just exasperated, Lord. I don't know why, what you're doing. That's fine. I, that's a great way to pray. The psalmist do it all the time. Is to stand before the Lord, who's our, our dearest friend, and say, okay, you know, I'm sorry, but I just don't understand what's going on right now. I don't know why. I, I, I don't think God minds that at all to hear that from us. As long as it doesn't devolve into, you know, rebellion and all that. But I think to express our sometimes exasperation with with God or just to lay out our our struggles and Lord you know better than I what I'm going through and this is just driving me crazy and could you please do something about it and I think that's okay to pray that way uh so right there you know with the psalms maybe of the church but then make those basic moves and you've got your holy hour um uh, covered <laughs> let's talk about the difference metaphysically between personal individual prayer and liturgical prayer. And I'm thinking not only of the mass, the great liturgical prayer, but also you just mentioned uh, the liturgy of the hours, the divine office. Are, are these basically just personal prayer, but with a lot of people praying at the same time, or is there something more going on there? Yeah, no, with the mass, which is the prayer of prayers, uh, is the privileged and distinctive prayer of the mystical body. So this is now all the members of the mystical body join together with their head, Christ, offering the perfect sacrificium laudis, sacrifice of praise to the Father, right? So it's the highest prayer. It's the sublimest form of prayer. And it's necessarily communitarian. Even if I'm, I'm saying mass, quote unquote, privately, there's really no such thing as a private mass. But if I'm alone at the altar with the Lord, I'm still with the whole company of angels and saints and the mystical body. The mass by its very nature is communitarian, right? But it's the highest prayer because it's the prayer that the Son offers to the Father in this, in this unsurpassable way on the cross. And that prayer now is represented to the Father in union with the mystical body. So that's, that's the prayer of prayers. That's why it's the source and summit of the Christian life, right? So all other prayer, liturgical and otherwise, participates in that, uh, flows to it, flows from it, right? It's, that's why, like today when I was in my chapel, and I'm in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament. Well, what's happening there? But that's, of course, a link to the Mass. Because the species in my uh, tabernacle was consecrated at a Mass, you know? Uh, and that links me to my own ordination, which links me to the bishop who ordained me, which links him to the bishop who ordained him, all the way back to the apostles. I mean, to stand before the Blessed Sacrament is an extraordinary act of union with the totality of the mystical body. Um, so all prayer participates in the Mass and then leads back to the Mass. Um, even the most personal prayer, it's never just me because I'm a member of the mystical body, you know? And so ipso facto, it links me to the premier prayer of the mystical body, which is the Mass. I can I do it that way. 
Okay, let's uh, close with this question. Suppose someone wants to go deeper on this topic, not necessarily, again, how to pray. I think we've, we've yeah. talked a lot about that in past episodes, but just understanding the dynamics of prayer better. Are there any books or writers, classical, contemporary, oh, that you I love, recommend? Oh, I love C.S. Lewis on prayer, but read Aquinas himself. You know, I know it's more technical, but Thomas on prayer. Um, for the liturgy, you know, the great um, Romano Guardini, read uh, Ratzinger's Spirit of the Liturgy. Both Guardini and Ratzinger have a book for the same title, Spirit of the Liturgy. Uh, those are our great, I think, sources for this. But Aquinas, if you want, as Sister seems to want, Sister Miriam, uh, the, uh, as you put it, metaphysics of prayer, I think then I read uh, Thomas Aquinas. Well, that sound means it's time for one of our questions. We take questions on every episode from our great listeners like you. If you have a question, send it in to us. Just visit askbishopbaron.com and record your question on any device. Today, we have a question from Josh, who is asking about the metaphysics of the Hail Mary prayer. What specifically is going on when we pray the Hail Mary? So here's okay. Josh's question. My name is Josh from Philadelphia, and my question is, when I pray the Hail Mary, what am I actually doing? Am I praying to Mary? Am I asking Mary to pray for me? I know I'm referencing the Bible, so I just want to know exactly what I'm doing. Thank you. That's a great question. Love that question. It's very, it's very simple and very direct, which are always the best kind of questions. What are you doing? Well, look at the prayer. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Um, am I establishing thereby a link to Mary? Yes. Mary is, um, is the queen of all the saints, assume body and soul into heaven in this privileged place. And she's deeply interested in the church because she's the mother of the church, as she was mother of, of Christ, right? So am I establishing thereby a relationship, a connection to her? Remember, Brandon, some years ago, you and I did that thing on, it's always, it's always come back to my mind. It was your suggestion about um, cell phones, right? That when you, you're using a cell phone or a GPS or something, and these, these impulses are going up into the sky, and they hit this satellite somehow, and it processes. Heck, if we can do that with our stupid little devices, we can establish this extraordinary contact. How much more could someone in the dimensional system we call heaven? And so the, the first move of the Hail Mary is, is that. Now, mind you, to hold off the, some of the standard objections. Are we, are we giving praise to Mary the way we give praise to God? No. The tradition separates um, the latria we give to God, that means the, the full praise, right, we give to God, from the dulia, which is a type of honor or service that we give to the saints. And then Mary receives, I love this term, hyperdulia. She receives a kind of elevated form of this honor, right? So we're, we're not praising Mary the way we praise God. We're not, we're not uh, worshiping Mary. I'd say we're establishing this contact through great words of honor to Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. But then look at the second part of it. Holy Mary, mother of God. And again, by saying mother of God, we're saying mother of the church. And so we're a child calling out to our mother. Holy Mary, mother of God. Now, here's the key. Pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. 
The fundamental move is asking Mary to pray for us, to intercede for us. We honor her with a hyperdulia, Hail Mary, full of grace. We name her properly as the mother of God. And then we call upon her as a child calls upon a mother for help, intercede for us at the throne of God. There's no more powerful intercessor um, than Mary. So I'd say that's the fundamental move we're making is asking her to intercede for us. Just as I often say to my, my Protestant friends who, who balk at this, don't we ask each other to, for prayers all the time? We say, hey, could you pray for me? You know, Brandon, could you pray for me? And, and you say, could you pray for me? Well, sure. Well, then why wouldn't we say that to our heavenly friends who are in a, in a more intense relationship to God? Why wouldn't we ask them to pray for us too? So Mary, who's the queen of all saints, who deserves hyperdulia, and she's the one that we ask as a child, as a mother, to pray for us. Um, so there's much more to say. I've, I've written a little bit about the Hail Mary, which is, is such a beautiful prayer and so many dimensions to it. It's, it's deceptively simple, that prayer, because there's so much that actually is going on. But I think those are the basic dynamics. Well, we're releasing this episode the Monday before Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is just a couple days away, which means the beginning of Lent. And if you'd like to receive some extra spiritual guidance during Lent, visit LentReflections.com. LentReflections.com. There you can sign up to receive free daily reflections from Bishop Barron on the gospel readings throughout all of Lent. It's a great program. Hundreds of thousands of people subscribe. So go to LentReflections.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week on the Word on Fire show.